Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. This week, years after doing some demolition work to lead to the moment, the city of Peoria reveals its official plan for a new riverfront park. The plan will get a first look at the next Peoria City Council meeting on July 25th. Then it will go before the Planning and Zoning Commission, then back to the City Council for final consideration. WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio talked about the park proposal with Peoria City Manager Patrick Urich. I know that the space between the two bridges, Murray Baker to Bob Michael, is in play. Yes. That's about all I know. What What is the next thing that's happening? And what is happening? All right, so I'm going to go back a few years when we... Um took down Riverfront Village right. and the, and the um, platform came down. Right, that's where we, some restaurants yes. and the chamber had an office up there. Exactly. And okay. So we started planning back then, so 2018, 2017, right in that area there, okay. about looking at what we wanted to do bridge to bridge. And we started thinking about design work and, and looking at how we can reinvigorate that space. And so that process started at at. 2021 or 2020 COVID hit, so it kind of everything kind of stops, sure, right? So, sure. uh, in 2021, um, the local legislative delegation was able to secure a grant from the state of Illinois of 15 million dollars. We haven't received it yet, okay. but it's it's there. It's part of their capital budget for the riverfront redevelopment. So, so we've been waiting on $15 million from the state. Okay. It's still been reappropriated, so it's still in their capital budget. Do we need to go drive down there and get it? Can, can I help you with that at all? <laughs> well, I, I think when the state's got the money, they're going to release okay. it. So, okay. you know, from right. that end. Okay. Uh, so we've been working on, we, you know, we kind of put the plans on pause and we reinvigorated the plans, had a couple of public meetings about it, and we've just been trying to finalize it. What we heard back from the community was, uh, and from the stakeholders, many of the stakeholders around there is, you know, the businesses were concerned about parking, so we tried to accommodate that. Okay. The riverfront market, which is a huge asset for us, yes, it is. was concerned about how they could stage the market during the week and or during Saturdays. And so we wanted to look at that, but we also wanted to look at how we might be able to come up with some space that when it's not the market, it's still park space and it's not just hardscape. So we've, we think we've found a way to do that, um, based on a model that we've seen in Cincinnati. And, and so, um, we've just finalized that plan and, and now we're rolling it out. We want to take it to, uh, we'll have a presentation at the city council on July 25th. Okay. And then on August 3rd, it would go to the planning and zoning commission and then back to the council for approval on August 11th. You know, I was looking, if you're on website, wmdradio.com, and I was looking at it, it's already kind of there. I mean, most of it's in place. You just kind of have to define it and then... Uh, are you going to uh, put fencing barriers, whatever, around it, or just to define it? Yeah, better? you know. Uh, so what we wanted to do, for example, under the Bob Michael Bridge, we wanted to look there and say, okay, what can what can we do here a little differently? And and you know, what is currently under the bridge? Park, Hooters parking, and and then the the, the old Hooters building, <laughs> oh, which okay. the city owns. Okay. So right. yeah. uh, and and you know, we're gonna we're gonna look at reactivating that that restaurant as as part of the amenities here with it. Okay. But maybe we put some more activity space, like pickleball courts and and things like that, that we might you know have some more activity there. Then as you move as you move uh, further north up the ri- or northeast up the river, uh, as you get in between as you get in between River Station and or the you know the. Uh, and and what used to be Crooked Waters, that building, 
we, we looked at possibly putting in some sort of playground or park for kids to, to play on. In the area where there is currently a hardscape or where in the grassy, the grassy area. area? We would keep the parking, okay. keep okay. the parking there and accommodate yeah. the businesses, okay. but looking at that. What we used to call in the old days Liberty Park. Liberty Park, yeah, right, right, exactly. At the end of foot of Liberty. Then as you move, then as you move further north, once you get on the other side of, of River Station, as you get to, right. to that location, there's where we would be looking at how we can, we can really start to make some changes to the space. And that's where we have our farmer's market. Market. And so one of the things that we looked at there is, is Cincinnati has some space that, that where they have uh, planters and picnic benches and, and lighting above it. Uh, but then you can move the planters and picnic benches out of the way okay. for, a, for an event, and then you can put it back. And, and so we looked at, let's model something like that, doing something very similar to that for the market. So then on Saturday mornings, you can have that space for the market. But then for the other six days of the week, it's a park space. And right. It's a space yeah. that people can utilize and, and take advantage of. We wanted to look at how we could connect it better to the Riverfront Museum. And tying in the vista that you have from the roof of the riverfront, sure, or from, the, from the deck of the riverfront yeah. museum back down to the riverfront, and then as we move north, now we get into the festival space, right? And that's and they're starting to rethink how we use that festival space. And are we talking about the the, the stage, the the yes. staging, and the the fenced in area yes. there? And, yes. And so, so so really, I think what we would see is that like the Seth Q stage and that type of hardscape stage would probably go away and then we would look at using festival park which is the area that's that's kind of north of the gateway building for you know using that for more of our our music activities and right and that's like more that. under that bridge correct, that, yeah. that, correct. That so going south has there ever been and by the way i'm a big fan of the usps the post office ever thoughts of maybe moving that post office somewhere and and expanding down that way yeah so so one of the the elements of uh, the potential passenger rail initiative is yeah. as we looked at potential locations for a train station in downtown peoria we looked at the post office as one potential option and the area around the gateway building you know coupled with the, the surface parking lot the caterpillar has of of maybe sure. those are areas that we can look at at staging a station for for Peoria, um, and you know we've had some conversations with the post office. They're like, yeah, we'll we'll move. We're just gonna have to build us a new space. <laughs> right, right, yeah, we well, we have it to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have existing warehouse space with a lot of docks to and all that. Can we accommodate them instead of building something? Move them into one of those old warehouse buildings. So so the the post office has three operations there that they do. I mean, they have not only do they have their postal service and distribution operations, mm -hmm. the, those the retail front and distribution. They also have their vehicle maintenance, so all the vehicles that they have. Oh, okay. So it's a bigger it's a bigger footprint that when you get behind the building, they have a lot of acreage back. There. I have a couple questions. Yeah. Is is uh, it's been sad to me, to be honest with you, uh, that the uh, fountain area behind the Gateway Building on the Riverside, and it's, it's the fountain hasn't worked for a long time. I mean, has been on. I know it works, but chose to not use it. Uh, the the bricks are kind of falling apart around that area. Not is anymore. One, is, we, we've redone. The have bricks. you redone the bricks? We've okay. Redone the bricks. I was gonna, just about to ask: Is one of the reasons of of not yeah. doing that because we know we're this is coming? Will that stay the same? No, well, it's it, we're we're looking at at, at changing that? some of that hardscape. Um, you know, today the the technology for splash pads is a lot different sure than what we is. put in twenty five yeah. thirty years ago. So yeah. we want to really get in there and and make that change to that space. So it could to be modernize something similar, it. Some, similar, yeah. but but with a, a a more modern feel to yeah. it that may have because less that was basically just water shooting out of a yeah, hole. Yeah, that was cool. It was yeah. super cool, but it was um, like your little kid just get blasted in the face. 
<laughs> uh, what about the flood area? I mean, yeah. that's so you always have to have that in mind. So, so this past Fourth of July, one of the things that we did is we set up a tent and we had a little QR code down on the riverfront and we asked people to take a survey. Oh, good. And and about what they would like to see. And one of the the elements that came back is that they wanted to make sure that we were building a park that was going to bounce back from flooding because you know obviously sure. when it floods, it really hits the riverfront hard. One of the things that we've been looking at, particularly for River Station, because it's on the National uh, Register of Historic Places, uh, is looking at how we could potentially um, put a flood wall around River Station to protect that building. And we were able to secure a, a, a grant from FEMA. Uh, to do the design work for that. And then that potentially opens up the door for more federal funding to nice. do the actual flood wall. So so that's part of it. That would cover you know one of the buildings. But what we've been trying to design is something that could bounce back quickly Got from it. a flood. Right. Well. Yeah. This is a done deal. Yes? It, it is. We are, we are at the point where we're doing conceptual design. We have not gotten into detailed design okay, work yet. But something is going to happen. We are, we are, we are confident we're going to get the money from the okay, state. Right. Uh, we may have to do some additional fundraising to, to raise some additional funds okay. and try and, you know, like the, like the Civic Center to maybe sure. so there's some sponsorship opportunities. Sure. And then we're going to, then we're going to try and go right into implementation. And, and can you, with some of this money, secure the old Crooked Waters building so Greg and I can move our studios down yes. to the deck? We, we want to be on the deck yes. from that. We've always wanted to broadcast from that. Yeah, I love uh, it. it is good to see it. No time frame yet, right? Is it too no, early to have too, that? Too early okay. for a time frame. But it's good. I've been hearing about this for a long time. And now that it's a, a public discussion, and again, it'll come up at the city council meeting on yes. the 25th. Uh, good stuff. Good to see you, man. Great to see you. Peoria City Manager Patrick Urich talking with WMBD's Greg and Dan. More Week in Review coming up. Governor J.B. Pritzker and the Illinois Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity announced this week that more than $300 million in revenue was collected by hotels in the 2023 fiscal year. That sets a record that was made just before the COVID-19 pandemic started. Here, the data seems to indicate Peoria is even doing better than state or some other local averages in terms of hotel stays and revenue. I talked about that with Peoria Area Convention and Visitors Bureau CEO, J.D. D'Alfonso. I think it's a credit to the Illinois Office of Tourism and uh, DCEO, the, the uh, Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity, that uh, within the administration and has allowed tourism to continue working throughout the toughest of times that we've seen. And and so I think what we're seeing here is the, uh, you know, the fruits of hard, hard labor, of course, within our hotel community, and particularly for us in Convention and Business Bureau business, uh, really come to see uh, what recovery really looks like when we, uh, when we look back at what the last couple of years has provided. So <clears throat> great news to see, and, and we're really starting to see those, these, these numbers translate locally, too. Um, and I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but I think the thing that I that I saw in some of the reporting on uh, the governor's announcement was it seems like maybe it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because while more hotel revenues are coming in, it seems like some of that discretionary spending hasn't quite risen you know, to those levels yet either, that people are spending the night, but maybe they're not spending as much money on food or entertainment or other things like that yet. Is that kind of what you're getting? Uh, that could be a tendency uh, here. You know, some of the news or some of the numbers and information that we're privy to, particularly in the city of Peoria, indicates that the you know there's spend in restaurants above record levels as well. So, and you know, with the Civic Center and amusements coming back, 
uh, I think we're going to see that trend tick up as well. Everything here locally seems to be on that uptrend and a pretty strong swing, particularly in this year, this calendar year. Uh, but there are tendencies across the state that may reflect a little bit differently. Uh, so I think um, they wouldn't be wrong to say that, but we're, we're, we're pretty thankful to have a little bit of different numbers reflecting that here. And I guess I was thinking when I read that, too, like, uh, okay, you're, where there's uh, more money being spent on hotel stays and things like that, but uh, you're not uh, enjoying anything else about your trip? That seemed kind of crazy to me. Yeah, it, it's a matter of difference, I think, in travel patterns, you know. You know, having a civic center here uh, in our hometown prevents, provides, you know, great convention meeting opportunity, of course, concerts and, and sporting events. Uh, but throughout the last couple of years, we've seen a large shift towards uh, hotel stays to be, you know, hotel occupancy growing on the weekends due to some leisure travel or some travel tendencies that different when, you know, meetings and conventions weren't, weren't, uh, were still recovering. People still traveled and how they did that in every destination varied. So, uh, you know, we see, we've been watching closely over the last few years as to what that looks like. And, yeah, it, you know, depending on how you get to a destination depends a little bit on how you're going to spend your money. Uh, but if you're spending overnight stays, uh, usually translating to some healthy spending in other areas. One more uh, question along those lines before I ask specifics about local. Could it? Could any of this possibly, and I guess I didn't read into it enough to know for sure, uh, inflation has been an issue or... or is inflation does inflation factor into something like this or or on the other end of it are hotels just charging more for rooms too yeah so you're you're right will uh what you have here is the uh, there's an effect of inflation and cost of doing uh doing business that plays in a little bit of effect now <clears throat> hotel uh uh room night rates uh average daily rate we call it adr has recovered much faster uh, really across the country uh, than we ever predicted it would after, you know, the last few years. Uh, that was key. Now, what does that mean? Is, so the rates have recovered faster uh, and actually exceeded pre-COVID uh, levels. Now, what we're seeing about hotel revenue is the taxes generated by them, right? So that's the hotels paying the taxes of, uh, of the stays that they're, they're, they're receiving. So those revenues are huge, right, for the state and, and our cities and municipalities. Now, the hotels are still facing the high cost of energy prices, the large, uh, heavy cost of food and beverage. And so those are also going to the bottom line, which is why it's great to see this progress and this recovery. The hotels are still battling. You know, our hotel community still see these, sees the, the effects of inflation and cost of doing business uh, on a daily basis and, and particularly how to navigate that. So as much as it's great news, there's still that, that you know, that, um, you know, that battle still going on to make sure that hotels are sustainable and, and, and still on the up and up as we get, to, get out of the clear of this. All right. Um, let me kind of ask specifics about uh, this area. Obviously, in the last year, there have been a lot of uh, really good events, meetings, things like that. Everything from, you know, figure skating to baseball and hockey and even conferences coming to town. Uh, what, what are we looking at here? Are we seeing kind of that, uh, that uptick uh, potentially in revenues uh, that we're seeing on the whole of the state level? Uh, yes, we're seeing, uh, it, it, you know, particularly hotel tax in the city of Peoria. Uh, we're seeing uh, record trends coming as well in comparison to like the pre, pre-pandemic levels. You know, some of the numbers I keep in a close eye on from week to week is our, is our occupancy levels and our, our rates and comparative to other, other areas in whether that's Illinois or in the Midwest. And, and right now to what I, I, I said earlier, we're, we're, we're taking in the right direction. Our occupancy year to date uh, that's from the beginning of the calendar year is up 5.4% compared to last year. 
which comparatively speaking is above the national average and above the uh, Illinois average uh, and right there alongside Chicago's uh, growth as well. So when you see occupancy growing, that's a key indicator as well. Uh, when we talk about that average daily rate, uh, us comparatively speaking, we're up over over 10%, over 11% actually uh, on the calendar year to date. And that's above the Chicago average, the U.S. average, the Illinois average. And so our Peoria area is really recovering that rate as well. And when we talk about uh, revenue for available room two, it's another key indicator. Uh, we're still thriving well and above of, uh, many of those indicators as well. So we're up about 17% in the calendar year so far from last year. And so uh, as we look to comparative cities, whether that's in the state of Illinois and um, in the Midwest, uh, it indicates that we're really catching up now and kind of at, at a great pace. And that's compliments to new contracts being signed for meetings and conventions for another three or five, three or four years. This is new business. This is, uh, you know, more access is more travel, uh, bat and ball business. You know, all these things play a factor into these numbers that help our hotel community and, and, trans, and translates into greater economic opportunity for municipalities. Sounds to me like uh, kind of what you're saying is, is uh, given that uh, conventions and meetings and, and big events are booked a, a long ways out that you could you, you almost could see this coming, couldn't you? Yes, and the way we try and see that coming has also shifted prior to, you know, 2020. You know, you're always looking at four, five, sometimes six years out for new business. And, and just with the volatility of the market still, uh, you know, long distance for us, it seems to be about year, two years, three years out. And so despite the long-term scope shifting a bit, uh, we do get to see a little bit of what's coming as well. And so with our work with the Peoria Civic Center, Rick Edgar and his team, you know, we, we, we're working to make sure that, um, you know, everybody's coming in to win. The client wins, the hotels win, the community wins, the Civic Center wins, and our small businesses win. There's a lot of balls to juggle in the air, but uh, it's so far so, so good as the numbers seem to report. I was just thinking about um, when uh, uh, the governor and uh, DCEO, the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity, announced this the other day. One of the things that was pointed out by DCEO was that that people are not just coming to Chicago; that they are going to uh, that they are going to uh, events and venues and and uh, historical places and things like that in downstate Illinois. I think that's. You know, while uh, Chicago kind of drives things here, it's nice to have a, a bit of another driver, isn't it? Oh, without without question. You know, uh, for the state of tourism and particularly our, our partnership with the state of Illinois, we really need Chicago to do well in tourism so the whole state does well. But what we've seen, and, and we track other, other points of interest as well in travel tendencies. And, you know, when you have disc golf, you have outdoor recreation, and you have meetings and conventions returning, uh, you know, and, and acts at the Civic Center that, that draw a lot. Um, there's, there's that draw from larger metropolitan areas like Chicago and across the Midwest. And we have some of those travel patterns that, that we've, we've seen in our back pocket that really translate to, to be a success. And, and, and to note about DCEO and, and really the administration and our local legislators, you know, a couple of years ago when we were devastated, they made it a priority to make sure that our certified convention and business bureaus were funded through recovery money to ensure that our, our work can continue. And I think with that, that work by our local legislators and, and those in Springfield, you know, tourism was, was not necessarily on the forefront but they, uh, of people's minds at that time, but it was necessary to make sure that we were in a strong position, what we see now two years, two, three years later. And so 
uh, yeah, this is this is great to see this this progress and this achievement a couple years down the road when everybody's been in with seemingly uh, some dark times. Discover Peoria's J.D. D'Alfonso, CEO of the Peoria Area Convention and Visitors Bureau. More Week in Review coming up. The Peoria Civic Center has seen a lot of success in recent months, breaking attendance records, putting on a lot of great shows and other things. And just this week, the Peoria City Council formally approved transferring more than $20 million in proceeds from bond sales to the Civic Center to cover repairs they wouldn't have been able to make otherwise outside of a state grant they already received as well. Things like repairing the ice hockey rink, among other things. But there could be some more revenue coming in through a potential name change. The Peoria Civic Center Authority is seeking requests for proposals for the exclusive naming rights to the facility. WMBD's TJ Carson talked about it with Bo Sutherland of the Peoria Civic Center. So the uh, Peoria Civic Center Authority um, and the management company ASM Global uh, have been uh, working uh, towards uh, putting out uh, an RFP for naming rights. We just felt like it was the right time to find a naming rights partner. You know, we're hosting a record number of events and, you know, we have $45 million worth of capital improvements happening to the facility. So we thought uh, you know, that our position uh, in the community is strong, better than it's ever been. And, you know, we're hoping to share you know, this positive momentum with a naming rights partner. How long has this been in the works to try to get that naming rights deal kind of out there? Is this sudden or was there discussions prior to this? You know, there's been several uh, internal discussions over the past several months on uh, how we would approach um, naming rights um, and ultimately the authority had decided uh, to uh, put out an RFP um, so that we could create that awareness um, within uh, the community and the region uh, at large uh, to let them know that we are going to actively seek uh, that naming rights partnership. And then you mentioned now is the right time. What factors made this the right time for it? You know, coming out of uh, COVID, 2022 was a great year for us, 23 has been a record-breaking year for us, um, you know, just number of events, uh, 650,000 annual patrons. Um, you know, we, we're seeing more shows um, in the arena and the theater. Um, of course, we've got two strong tenants um, in Bradley and the Riverman and the Convention Center um, as uh, business has grown uh, the last couple of years coming out of uh, the pandemic. So, uh, we're stronger seeing uh, uh, seeing more attendance and more patrons through our facility, um, even topping uh, our pre-COVID numbers. So um, we felt like uh, we were positioned uh, to move forward with actively uh, trying to secure an NRA partnership. What is AASM looking for in uh, the naming rights deal? We looked over the proposal. They're looking for a 10-year deal uh, for at least a half million dollars each year. What are they seeking for this? The deal, the RFP right now puts it out at uh, 500000 annually. A 10-year deal is uh, would be the preference uh, for a naming rights agreement. Again, um, it's, uh, you know, looking at some uh, comparable uh, recent naming rights agreements um, in the region, in the area, uh, we feel like uh, 
of where we've positioned uh, uh, the naming rights commitment through this RFP is, uh, I think, is positioned correctly. Um, you know, we are unique in that we do have a multiplex. We have three venues under one roof, um, which very few facilities around the country um, uh, can say they have. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of, of value in uh, this multiplex at the Arena Theater and the Convention Center as part of uh, the overall naming rights. Is there a preference for what you want the naming uh, rights to come from? Someone maybe local or a national uh, business? Is there any preference in that regard? No, I don't think we have a preference. I mean, all industries are welcome uh, to submit. Uh, it'll be at the discretion of the PCA board uh, and the process set forth. You know, certainly we have wonderful uh, local partners of the Civic Center, um, and we've uh, provided this information to all our stakeholders and venue partners. So, uh, you know, certainly it would be fun, um, and I think it'd be a great uh, partnership uh, for some of our our local business leaders. Um, but at the same time, you know, with the amount of shows and the exposure that the Civic Center gets, uh, both regionally and nationally, um, we we see this as being a great opportunity um, for uh, for a business partner um, outside of the area as well. Let's talk about the request for a moment uh, and some of these companies that might look to submit a bid. Is there anything you're looking for specifically in their bids that could help them stand out and favor them in the process? I don't think there's anything specific. Obviously, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of components uh, to the naming right agreement. There will be a lot of discussions around that. You know, this process is never a, a quick one. Um, I, I think uh, basically, you know, we want to start the conversation um, the authority wanted uh, the community to know that uh, we are interested in moving forward with this process and to get that uh, to get that going and the conversation started as soon as possible. And for the company in business that ends up uh, winning the naming rights deal, what do they get out of it? What how does the deal benefit them? Well, just the brand exposure, you know, just with a, a venue of our size and the shows that we're doing, you know. Uh, uh, the you know we we estimate the impact at over a hundred million impressions per year uh, just off the events that we're doing for that brand partner. Um, you know, obviously there's other components. You know, there'll be physical signage associated with it um, besides you know uh, traditional media, um, but then there's also uh, the hospitality aspect of it. You know, when you talk about uh, 250 uh, plus events, 275 events a year. Um, in our three venues, uh, there's a lot of activation uh, that can happen within uh, the Civic Center for that for that naming rights partner, as well as uh, hospitality um, uh, uh, for during uh, those events. So uh, we think all of those elements will be an important factor moving forward uh, as part of the naming. Rights. Now, the money that will be raised from the naming rights deal is it going to be for specific purposes or just for in general uh, at the Civic Center? Because we know that there's a lot of improvements coming, about $40 million worth, and that some money has already been pledged to that. So I guess what will the money raised from this deal go towards? 
I don't think it will be earmarked for anything specific. Uh, typically, um, ad sponsorship revenue um, just uh, would uh, go back uh, into the the operating budget. You know, whether that's uh, plotted for um, future capital investment um, in the in the facility is to be determined by you know our capital uh, committees and and the PCCA board, but. At this time, you know, there, there's no specific um, items that we target um, from, you know, naming rights revenue. And then I've only got time for one more question. So I guess what's a timeline for this process? When do you expect to have a naming rights deal in place? You know, it, the process is, is never quick. I mean, what, what we've seen is, you know, you, you have to do the due diligence. We'll have those conversations with the business community. Um, uh, gauge interest, um, and then uh, work through that process. I would imagine, you know, typically what you see um, uh, from a timeline with naming rights partners, anywhere from six to twelve months to um, to lock in the agreement to the actual fulfillment um, and integration of of that brand partner into the facility. The Peoria Civic Center's Bo Sutherland talking with WMBD's TJ Carson. More Week in Review coming up. Now, a couple of Peoria area events, one ongoing, one coming up. Here's WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. Cornstock, I love Cornstock, big fan. Now, you didn't tell me what this musical was. You said it's the best musical, and I'm well, looking at one of the guests in the studio. So is this a mob musical? Well, that's very interesting, Danny. <laughs> the name of this musical is The Drowsy Chaperone. It uh -huh. was hailed by New York Magazine years ago as the perfect Broadway musical. It's funny. It's got some great tunes in it. In our studio, Dave Snook, Chris Ennis, both in this show. Gentlemen, good to see you both. How are you doing? Hey, doing good. Thanks so much for having us. We're going to start with you, we're going to start with you, Mr. Radio Man. Uh -oh. uh, Chris is a friend that we just met. Now he's a he's yeah. a radio friend, yeah. right? You're a radio friend. Yeah. And you work at WCIC, the Christian station here in town. I so do. Yeah. Welcome to Peoria. Belatedly, you've been here a while, and we, we've never met. Oh, so it, nice well, that's here. okay. I mean, there was a pandemic. Yeah, we had some stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, stuff going on. Sorry, I was busy. Yeah, I was, you, I was busy. It was a break. So tell me about this show. Uh, you do look mobbish right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, normally there's a little patch of gray. I think they thought I was a little old looking. And so they said, let's young you up and make you look like you're, you know, a, a gangster. Okay. Uh, which, ironically, there are gangsters in the show, of which I do not play. Oh, you're not, you're not a gangster. I am in the not show, a gangster. There are in the gangsters show. in the there show. There are, yeah. I just play, I actually play a character by the name of Man in Chair. Yeah, Dan, his description of his character <laughs> is Man in Chair. Okay. <laughs> that is the really weirdest description of a character. What does man in chair do? Uh, honestly, besides sit in a chair. <laughs> so, so the show is a it's a musical inside of a comedy, and um, so it happens. It takes place in my apartment in New York City, and then all of a sudden the show comes alive, and so I'm basically the narrator for the whole thing. Oh, and gotcha. and the point I think anyway the point is is that um, you are supposed to be able to see yourself in my chair. Got so it. there's no name. So it could so be just, you, it, yeah, could, it could be, be anybody. anybody. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now, David, uh, tell me about uh, you. You're a college student, ISU, first Correct. of all, longtime yeah. theater guy, I bet, right? Uh, Most high school yeah, through yeah. the years, right? <laughs> uh, you play Robert Martin. What's what's he do? What's he do? So he is kind of the, the leading man in this uh, fictitious show that comes to life in Man in Chair's apartment, and he's kind of the stereotypical uh, leading man. 
but the show in of itself kind of makes fun of the musical theater. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, uh, it pokes fun at almost everything. Yeah, right? everything. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of kind of a spoof almost. So I get to be really over the top with everything nice. I do. Which that's is fun. So that, much. Fun. That is fun. So much fun. Uh, Cornstalk. Have you guys either done Cornstalk before in the tent? You've yes. Done the tent? Yep. You go. Okay. So that experience is not new to you. Whew. It yeah. is new. I mean, and it's hot sometimes. <laughs> I was going to say every experience yeah. is new every time. Yeah. That's a hot place to see it. But it is so. I think. We've been talking a lot lately about the the things that that mean something to Peoria yeah. and 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 how Peoria is unique in certain ways. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes to this town and goes, wait, wait, I'm, yeah. I can go see a show where in, yeah in a park in a tent and it's cool yeah I mean like cool and, and not necessarily cool temperature wise it's just a cool place yes that's a well it, it's thing. it's hotter on stage because they do have fans for the audience but you don't have fans yeah. on stage so it's There's probably and sweaty, under the light sweaty actors probably, yeah, yeah. I, I gotta say this is my first show there I, this is my third show there but my first one where really I don't do any singing or dancing uh, so I get to just enjoy the enjoy it, the yeah. air conditioning yeah. of the fan, and I just sit there and enjoy yeah, that. <laughs> well, it's good to see both of you. you get tickets twenty five dollars for adults, twenty for students, eighteen and under. The show runs through the twenty second, right? Yes, Correct. and just go to Cordstock's website. You just mm-hmm. Google and, and get your tickets ahead of time. I think you can buy them at the door, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't try that. Yeah, I wouldn't try. I that. wouldn't try that. You they're moving pretty quick as yeah. I was looking this morning. Yeah, so. they're going fast. Well, uh, Dave Snook, Chris Ennis, good to see both of you, fellas. Thank you. Uh, and break legs or whatever that we do uh, these days. Do we still say break legs? I don't know if that's yeah. still a thing, but we'll I, well, do it. I always it, feel uncomfortable with it. It sounds, very, <laughs> it sounds mobbish. Although as a mobster myself, yeah, I should yeah. probably yeah. go ahead and say probably it. do that. In, in, in this case, it's break a chair leg. The, oh, break a chair go. leg. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There you go. It's good to see you both. Thanks for coming in. Shannon Cox is our friend. She runs the Peoria Art Guild. She's in charge of all the artists. She says, I paint something. You paint something right now, Danny. That's what she does. She's sculpting today. We're sculpting. Hi, Shannon. Hi. You don't do any of that. You're too nice. (laughs) You're the nicest person I know. Oh. Uh, tell me about the Art Guild, first of all, as a whole, before we get into a fundraiser. Oh, you got yeah. Well, you know, the Peoria Art Guild is one of the oldest organization, arts organizations in the United States. It's 145 years old. In the United States? I did not I, know I, that. I mean, in the state of Illinois, well, for, for sure. sure. But 145 yeah. years yeah, old has old. a long, long history. Started with a group of women from Bradley. I mean, long story. But um, here we are today, 145 years later. Um, we do things like the Fine Art Fair, Sculpture Walk Peoria, um, educational art classes. We do cla- uh, classes um, with a community arts program, um, exhibits, First Fridays. Can so, I come down, like an average person, me, yes. Dan, whatever, can I come down and just... Hey, I'd like to learn how to uh, sculpt. Yeah. Uh, Common misconception about the Art Guild is that you have to be a member to participate, and that is absolutely not true. Anybody can come and participate in anything. Of course, we'd love your support. We'd love you to be a member. Sure. But people think, oh, I'm not a member. I can't come. Come down. You will love it. Yes. In the last <clears throat> five years, how many how many new artists have moved here because it seems oh, we like got this a weird uh, uh-huh. yeah, an avalanche yeah here. there's this really great group up on moss avenue that yeah. came from out in california area and i think a couple other states but um you know peoria is a great place to live and people are finding the midwest is a great place to be um and they and, can still create their art so well, there's an yeah. art there is an art culture here yeah there are, well 140 we're getting to be known ago. for that yeah mm-hmm. we're getting to be known yeah. for it. uh well, i do want to talk about the fine art fair in uh-huh. a minute but the, before that 
all of this takes money, and you have to have fundraisers from time yeah. to time. What's coming up? Yeah. Hey, you know, it's a fun one, Greg. They've What's been that? doing. I don't know if they have more coming up, but what? you know, the sculpture walks. They've been holding them, and oh, yeah. uh-huh. have a few glasses of wine. wine. Yeah. Oh my gosh! If I could plug that real fast, yeah. Sip and Scroll yeah. next Thursday night, uh, Black Band Brewery uh, or Distillery is going to be providing the drinks. They they create a drink around the sculptures. You come in, have a couple drinks, go on sculpture walk with John Heinzman, come back, have another drink, and then um, you're out and the the docent tour of the sculptures are really it's a really cool experience that is so. cool mm-hmm. sign up yeah. at prrguild.org yep, yep. Mm-hmm. okay yep the, the fundraiser though that's coming up on yeah. the 30th i think yeah this is has something to do with the number five yeah what, what is this yeah so we started these fundraisers a couple years ago um creating a theme um and having local artists create a piece of artwork uh, around that theme and then we auction it off and it's a really cool thing because half of the funds go to local artists and half of the cut funds come to us at the guild to support our programs sometimes the artists go ahead and donate their part to us sometimes not and that's yeah, fine yeah. but it supports both of us uh fives uh, came up heather brammeyer is on our exhibit committee came we were talking about themes for our exhibits and stuff and she came up with this fives theme and and it's revolved around um, a poem that was written by William Carlos Williams and a painting, a really old painting um, by Charles DeMuth. Um, if you've seen any of it on social media, there's a lot of fives in it. It's gold. It's really oh, cool. Oh, I have seen that. Yes. yes. So uh, there's a painting and a poem and there's a story behind it. Okay. And so she pitched that out and I said, you know what? This is the fifth year the guild has been back nice and we took a quiet time yeah yeah. uh 2018 uh we opened the doors back up started having classes and we've made it through covid had some successful years so this is five years oh perfect um so it's perfect so um and the artists have really embraced it this year they've created some beautiful pieces uh that will be auctioned off so i guarantee there's going to be some bids uh, bid fighting is um, this something that i need to get a ticket ahead of there are time tickets yes uh, members get a discount okay uh there will be childers there and drinks by tequila ria so okay. we'll have heavy All orders right. okay um and also some uh raffles and um tickets are 45 for uh anybody uh but 35 for members so if you're a member you get a discount purearguild.org to yeah. get the tickets okay yeah. you know I, i've always wanted to, to have this happen although it's just been too gosh darn warm in the winter but in the middle of january have artists carve ice sculptures yeah. mm-hmm. that are lighted and you have a walk where you mm-hmm. can go to all i think that'd be fun it that'd would be, be cool. cool yeah the weather's not cooperating with us we need to move no. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and real quick i only got a second here but the fine art fair is one of the great events yeah, of the year coming up. Yeah. coming up in september september 23rd 3rd and 24th. It's now the uh, last weekend in September, and I think we're going to have the full 130 artists this year post-COVID. Yes. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in Central Illinois. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.